We're going to read all of Genesis chapter 4. All of Genesis chapter 4, and then we will also come and read from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord God said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I could bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his, the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lemech. And Lemech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other Zilhah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zilhah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the, for, the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zilhah, hear my voice, you wives of Lemek. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemek's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let us go now briefly to Hebrews chapter 11 and consider verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 11 1 through 4. There we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. 
by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We pray the Lord's blessing on the preaching of it and also of our application of it to our lives today. Brothers and sisters, we have now come to Genesis chapter 4. We have moved very slowly through the first three chapters of Genesis. And and this was deliberate. Uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are very foundational. They are foundational not only to to the book of Genesis, but to the whole of Scripture and to our faith. Uh, There in those first three chapters, we were introduced to God, to His creation, to man made in His image, to the covenant of works established between God and man, and to the breaking of that covenant with Adam's fall into sin. It would be difficult to overstate the significance of those three chapters of the Bible. Uh, Indeed, to get those three chapters wrong would make coming to a correct understanding of the rest of Scripture very difficult. And as I sat down to study Genesis chapter 4, the thought did occur to me that we could also move slowly through this chapter. Uh, This chapter is also filled with important details, but I have resolved to pick up the pace as we progress through the remainder of the book of Genesis. And so, uh, we will consider chapter 4 in its entirety today. Let me begin by briefly reminding you of where we are in the book of Genesis. We are still in the first of the ten major sections of the book, which began in 2.4, with the words, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Each of the ten sections, as you know, begins with the words, These are the generations of, or something similar to that, after which the descendants of a particular figure are introduced to us. And here in this first section, the generations of the heavens and the earth are described. And what did the God of heaven bring from the earth except Adam and Eve? And so, beginning at 2.4, something of their history was described to us in Genesis 2.5 through to the end of chapter 3. We, we learned of their history. And here in chapter 4, we are introduced to some of their descendants Now, it needs to be recognized from the outset that Genesis 4 is not a thorough and detailed history of the world. It is not a thorough and detailed history of the world. Uh, Clearly, there was a lot more going on in the world around the people who are highlighted in this brief narrative that we have just read. Uh, Four descendants of Adam and Eve are highlighted in this chapter, Cain, Abel, and eventually Seth and Enosh. They are kind of brought to the forefront. Others are mentioned too. Uh, The text is clear that many more lived on planet earth in those days. In fact, I think the text is clear that in those days, human cultures were growing and developing. Cities were being built. And so, Genesis 4 is not a detailed uh, account of, of human history. There's a lot going on in the world around and about these figures who are emphasized. Uh, Consider, for example, Cain's reply to the judgment that God pronounced upon him in verse 14. Cain replied to God, saying, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. 
Because Cain was a murderer, he was driven even further from the presence of God and from the garden than his parents had been. And having been alienated from God even further, he was afraid that he would be killed by others. I I think it is reasonable to understand why a murderer would be afraid of being murdered. Uh, He himself committed the sin of murder, and he thought others are certainly capable of this. Uh, Who was Cain afraid of? Who was he afraid of? Uh, The answer is that there were also other descendants of Adam and Eve spread about upon the earth. Uh, Perhaps Cain was afraid that one of them would seek to avenge the blood of their brother Abel. Uh, The point that I am making is that the descendants of Adam had grown numerous even in the days of Cain. Uh, Were there hundreds or thousands on the earth in in the days of Cain? Well, the text does not say. But the point is that there were others, probably many others, living upon the earth in the days of Cain and Abel, Seth, and Enosh. Uh, the genealogy of Cain, which is presented to us in verses 17 through 24, also makes it clear that there was a lot going on in the world surrounding the people who are highlighted in this brief narrative. I, I'm not going to read the genealogy of Cain in its entirety, for we've already done that, but for now, simply recognize that there were many people living upon the earth in a relatively short period of time. Cities were being built, cultures were developing. Now, Why is it important to recognize that Genesis 4 is not a detailed history of the world? It is important to understand what Genesis 4 is not, so that we might also understand what it is. Uh, Genesis 4 is not a detailed history of the world, but it is theological history. It is history selectively retold so as to make a theological point. There were many things happening in the world in the days of Cain and Abel, Seth and Enosh, but this particular story was told by Moses under the inspiration of God so that we might understand something of God, of man, and the plans, purposes, and activities of God in this world. This is theological history. It is history similar to the history we find in the Gospels. Not everything was told to us concerning the life and ministry of Christ, but selective things were told in order to make a point. What does Genesis 4 teach us, therefore, regarding God, man, and the plans and purposes and activities of God in this world? And we need to consider this story in three parts to find out. First, let us consider the story of the birth, the temptation, the fall, and judgment of Cain in verses 1 through 16. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And I want you to imagine for a moment what it would have been like for them to give birth to their first child. Uh, They had witnessed other species uh, reproduce according to their kinds, no doubt. They had probably observed that, but it must have been an incredible experience for them to to reproduce. God had commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and and to subdue it and to have dominion over the animals. That is Genesis 1.28. This commission was given to them prior to their fall into sin, and evidently this mandate was not suspended entirely because of their sin, for Eve did eventually conceive and gave birth to a son. She now had experienced the increased pain of childbirth, which came as a result of her sin. Notice Eve's remark. After Cain was born, she said these words, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The name Cain sounds like the word gotten in the Hebrew. 
What did Eve mean when she uttered these words? It seems that she was giving thanks to God for Cain. Though she had sinned against God, she was blessed by God with offspring. One should remember the promise that was made to Adam and Eve through the curse pronounced upon the serpent that one of their descendants would stomp upon the head of the serpent who had deceived them. That had to have been, uh, that, that was fresh in their minds. And of course, it is difficult to know exactly what Eve's expectation was for this particular uh, child, but maybe she was thinking this would he be the one? This promise was made that one of her offspring would stomp the head of the serpent, and perhaps she thought, would this one be the one? Perhaps Eve thought so. Uh, What is clear is that when Cain was born, Eve rejoiced. She gave thanks to God for him and and acknowledged that Cain was born to her by God's grace and and with his help. In verse 2, we are told of the birth of their second son, and his name was Abel. Calvin thinks that Cain and Abel were twins, given that no mention is made of another conception, but he does acknowledge that this is only his opinion. Whether or not they were twins, I think the important thing to recognize is that Cain is the firstborn and Abel was born second. I mention this knowing that this will become a theme in the book of Genesis. And if you know your Bibles well, you will remember that this theme does develop. God will consistently show favor to the second born over the first, which is opposite of the way of the cultures of the world. According to the cultures of the world, particularly in that day, the firstborn received all the inheritance. So to be the firstborn was to be favored. But as the narrative of Genesis unfolds, we will see that consistently God showed favor to the second born, contrary to or opposite the way of the world. Here we see the principle of election on display, that God chooses the firstborn over the second. He chooses the weak thing over the strong. Uh, my brother here, who is younger than me, I think is getting a little agitated as, as I say these things. But it is a theme that we see in Scripture. Um, Abel, we are told, was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground, a farmer. In verse 3 we read, In the course of time came brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring, but for Cain and his offspring he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Notice a few things about verses five through 3 through 5. One, Both Cain and Abel knew that they were to worship God, and they did so. This is really an amazing thing to consider, given what we learned in Genesis chapter 3, concerning Adam's sin and the judgment of God that was pronounced upon them. Remember that Adam and Eve were driven from the presence of the Lord God. But here we find that their children approached God in worship. This is an amazing thing. It should startle us. Perhaps it does not because we're so familiar with the story. But if we were just reading through Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, when we, came, when we come to Genesis 4, we should be startled almost, surprised that these children of Adam and Eve are found active in public worship. They're bringing sacrifices to the Lord God. They knew that they were to bring offerings to the Lord. Where did they learn this, we might ask? 
Now, it is possible that God revealed it directly to them, but I think it is safe to conclude that their parents taught them how to worship. The thing to recognize is that by God's grace, there is, there is still a way to approach God in the world. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. They were driven from the presence of the Lord. But what is the thing communicated to, to us here? There is still a way to approach God in this world. There is still faith in the world. God is still worshipped even after man's fall into sin. This is good news. Two, notice the description of Cain and Abel's offering. Notice the description of Cain and Abel's offering. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground, we are told. But Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. I think these details will become important in a moment. Cain brought an offering of his produce. But Abel brought the very best of his flock to offer up to God. He brought the firstborn and he brought the fat portions of that animal. Three, notice God's response. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The the question is, what was it about Abel and his offering that pleased the Lord? And Cain and his offering, which displeased the Lord. What what was it about them and their offerings which caused God to respond in this way to them? Uh, To answer this question, we must take into consideration what this passage says, along with the rest of the Old and New Testaments. Some have proposed that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because it was a blood sacrifice, whereas Cain's was merely an offering of grain. Some have thought that that is the answer to the question, what's the difference? But this interpretation will not do, for uh, the rest of the Pentateuch will make it clear that grain offerings were indeed pleasing to the Lord. Uh, The people of God under Old Covenant Israel were commanded to bring, under some circumstances, grain offerings, uh, offerings of fruit and vegetables before the Lord. To get to the point, the answer must be that there was a difference in the heart of Cain and Abel which made their offering of the one the offering of the one pleasing and the offering of the other displeasing to the Lord there must have been a difference in their heart notice that the text does not say that God received and rejected their offerings but that God had regard for Abel and his offering but for Cain and his offering he had no regard it was not what they brought that made the difference ultimately but it was the condition of their hearts it was the condition of their hearts that made the difference The condition of the heart of Cain and Abel were displayed in the quality of their offering. As I've already pointed out, Cain brought an offering. Whereas Abel brought the very best of his flock to offer up to God, he brought the firstborn and he brought the fat portions. It was not the offerings themselves that pleased or displeased God, but the attitude of the men. But their hearts were revealed in the quality of the offering that they brought to the Lord. If truly we love God, if truly we are pleased to give Him worship, will we not bring our very best to Him and offer it up before Him? The New Testament actually reveals to us most clearly what it was that distinguished Cain and his offering from Abel and his. The difference between the two ultimately was that Abel approached in faith, whereas Cain did not. Did you catch that when I read from Hebrews 11 at the beginning of the sermon, verse 4 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. 
through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What is the writer to the Hebrews saying as the writer to the Hebrews interprets this story in Genesis 4? He is saying the difference between Cain and Abel was the condition of their heart. Abel approached God in faith. He worshipped God in faith. He offered up his offerings to God in faith. And therefore, God commended him and accepted his gifts. Cain was rejected and Abel was accepted because Abel brought his offering in faith, believing upon the promises of God, whereas Abel simply went, whereas, whereas Cain simply went through the motions of worship. For notice Cain's response to God's displeasure. We are told that Cain was very angry and his face fell, his countenance fell. How did Cain know that God had no regard for his offering? The text does not say, does it? We don't know exactly how Cain sensed that God rejected his offering. But Cain's reaction is troubling. Instead of feeling conviction, which would lead to repentance, Cain became very angry. He began to burn with anger in his heart, and his face or countenance fell. In verse 6, the Lord speaks to Cain, saying, The Lord, uh, he says, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I want you to notice a few things about these verses. One, God is called by the name Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Notice that this has been true throughout this entire passage. And if you understand the significance of the names Lord, all in caps, and God, as they are used throughout Genesis chapters 1 through 3, you'll understand why this is significant. Lord is the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. The name communicates that God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who is near to His people. That God is still called Lord here in Genesis 4, I think, is remarkable, given man's fall into sin with the breaking of the covenant of works. Though Adam was driven from the presence of the Lord and barred from the garden, God by His grace is still near. He is with His people. He is worshipped by them. And this is possible only because God has made a new covenant, namely the covenant of grace. Clearly this covenant was active in the world in the days of Adam, Cain, and Abel. And it was active by way of promise. We heard the promise of it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What a remarkable thing this is. God is still the Lord. He is still Yahweh to, to His people. He is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who is near. Two, notice that the Lord called Cain to repentance, saying, Why are you angry and why is your faith, face fallen? You, If you do well, will you not be accepted? There is this external call to, to repentance. Three, Notice that the Lord also warned Cain concerning the danger of giving in to the temptation. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He warned Cain concerning the danger of the road that he was beginning to head down. The countenance of his face revealed that he was heading down that road. Verses 1-6 through of Genesis 4 reveal a great deal in a short space concerning how life will be for man now that we live east of Eden. And because we are moving quickly through this chapter, I cannot tease out all of the insights, but I would plead with you to reflect upon these things further yourself. 
uh, to hold this text before you perhaps even later today and to, to, to look at it carefully. How will things be for us now that we are fallen is the question. Well, what do we see in Genesis 4? God is still with us. We are able to approach Him. By His grace, He has provided a way. There is true and false worship. The condition of the heart makes the difference. Faith and the promises of God is what distinguishes between those who are accepted by God and those who are not. Men and women will experience temptation in this world now. Temptation is to be resisted, etc., etc. I am very quickly presenting to you some of the insights that we can gain just from these first six verses of Genesis chapter 4. And so do you see the importance of this passage which describes to us life outside of Eden, life in a world that has fallen. Verse 8 describes the sin of Cain. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him, we are told. I think the Christian would do well to reflect upon this one verse in particular. Consider the effect of Adam's sin. Consider how far we have fallen Adam ate from the forbidden tree, but now we learn that one of his sons has murdered his own brother. Look at how far we have fallen. Look at how far sin has progressed in the world, even by this point in human history. One of Adam's sons has murdered his own brother, having been driven by jealousy and by rage. Uh, Truly then, in pain, Eve brought forth children. Not only the pain of childbirth, but here we see that she has sorrow of another kind. Truly, Adam encountered thorns and thistles in the world, not only in his farming, but here he's dealing with the pain of having had one of his sons kill another one of his sons. Truly, the wages of sin is death. We can begin to see its destructive force. In verses 9-12, through the Lord questions and pronounces judgments upon Cain. I'm not going to linger long here for the sake of time, but do compare and contrast the Lord's questioning and judgment of Cain in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4 with the Lord's questioning and judgment of Adam and Eve that we saw in the previous chapter. If you put them side by side, you will see that they are very similar. The Lord approached Cain just as He approached Adam and Eve in the garden after they ate of the forbidden tree. The Lord asked Cain a question just as he questioned Adam and Eve. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Again, it is not as if the Lord did not know. Do you remember remember the Lord entered into the garden and called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? It's not that he did not know, but he was calling Adam uh, to, to repentance. It is not as if the Lord did not know. He was drawing out a confession from Cain. But notice Cain's reply. It is exceedingly harsh. I do not know, he says. Am I my brother's keeper? He answers back to God in such a harsh way. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so clearly Cain's heart was very hard towards God. Adam and Eve struggled to repent thoroughly when questioned by God. Do you remember that? But they did eventually acknowledge their sin. But Cain Cain was hard. He lied, saying, I do not know. And he persisted in his rebellion, saying, Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, what is the answer to that question? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, Cain. You are your brother's keeper. What is the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not kill or murder. 
What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. What is required, though, in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. In this you have failed, is the answer to his question. Compare also the judgments pronounced upon Cain with the judgments pronounced upon Adam. Again, they are similar but more severe. Because the voice of his brother's blood cried out to God from the ground, Cain was cursed from the ground. The ground would no longer yield its strength as Cain worked it. It would be more difficult than before to farm the ground. Cain would be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So he's driven even further from the presence of the Lord than Adam and Eve were. And so there was a progression, therefore. It is evident that mankind even in these early days of human history, was growing increasingly sinful and increasingly alienated from the presence of the Lord. At least a portion of mankind was. And Cain complained that the penalty was too severe. One of his fears was that those who found him would kill him. But then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. What did that mark look like? I do not know. But here we do see evidence of God's common grace and His preserving of social order. God put a mark on Cain and pronounced judgment upon any who should attack him if they find him. Secondly, let us consider the genealogy of Cain and the record of the continuation of the unrighteous line in verses 17 through 24. And I am going to keep this part very brief. In verse 17 we read, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. After this we find a brief genealogy. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad, and Irad fathered, Mahujael, and so on and so forth, until we come to this figure, Lemech, when we learn that Lemech took two wives, the name of the one was Adon, the name of the other Zilhah, Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the harp. Zilhah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lemech said to his wives, so here, Picture this figure, Lemech. He has now uh, taken two wives to himself. And in his pride, he says to his wives, Adah and Zilhah, Hear my voice. Listen to the voice of your proud and powerful husband. Uh, Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. I have wounded, uh, I I have killed a, a young man for striking me. And if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, well, for me, for Lemech, It is 77-fold. And so notice three things about this genealogy. One, notice the emphasis upon city building and the development of culture. Certainly there is nothing inherently wrong with city building and the development of culture. But these things do become evil when they are pursued independent of God. Notice that Cain built a city. This was contrary to the curse that was pronounced upon him, notice. He was to be a wanderer. 
He was banished from his family, and after wandering for a time, evidently he built a city. He did this, I think, so as to protect himself. But this was not the city of God, notice. This was not the city of God. For what did he name the city? He named the city after his own son, Enoch. This was not the city of God. This was the city of man. And so it is with sinful man. They build, they engage in the arts and develop culture, not to the glory of God, but to promote their own name. That's what we see that Cain began to do after being banished from God's presence even further. And I think this passage certainly anticipates the story of the Tower of Babel, which we will encounter in Genesis chapter 11. There, wicked men said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They built, not to the glory of God, but to promote their own name, so that they might live independent of the God of heaven. And Cain was the father of this kind of activity. We see this early on in Genesis chapter 4. Two, notice that this line of Cain is wicked. This line of Cain, this genealogy that has been presented to us, is filled with all manner of wickedness. They built for the glory of their own name. Lamech took two wives, contrary to God's design for marriage. And when Lamech killed a man for wounding him, he promoted unjust laws of retribution. Instead of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, Lamech declared that any injury done to him would be repaid 77-fold. And so godlessness and wickedness increased upon the earth in the line of Cain in particular. Cities were being built, powerful men were beginning to multiply wives, and unjust laws of retribution were being implemented by these powerful men. I think we are to think of them as kings. Limech, I believe, was a king. Three, now would be a good time to point out that the murderer, that the murder of Abel, the righteous, by the unrighteous Cain, must be interpreted in light of Genesis 3.15, where God spoke to the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The rest of Scripture makes it clear that this verse, Genesis 3.15, is referring to the presence of a righteous and unrighteous line, in the world, the elect and non elect, the children of God and the children of the evil one. Eventually, one would arise from the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He is Christ Jesus our Lord. But what we have here in the story of Cain and Abel is the beginning of the outworking of this promise. Abel had faith, Abel belonged to God, Abel was of the righteous line. He was of the seed of the woman. Cain was of the serpent. When he murdered his brother, being driven by jealousy and anger, he bit at the heel of the seed of the woman in fulfillment to that promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here in Genesis 3, 4, 17 through 34, we have a record of the genealogy of Cain, and more importantly, it is a record of the continuation of the unrighteous, the seed of the serpent in the world. Thirdly, and lastly, let us consider the birth of Seth and his offspring and the preservation of the righteous line as told to us in verses 25 through 26. Here in verse 25, we find good and happy news. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. 
For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Notice two things about these two verses. One, Eve understood that Seth was to replace who? Seth was to replace Abel. The name Seth actually sounds like the Hebrew word for set or place. God granted that Seth would take the place of righteous Abel and thus continue the righteous line. It is actually very important to recognize that the name Seth sounds very much like the word translated as put in Genesis 3.15 in the Hebrew. I will put or set enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. A careful consideration of these things makes it clear that Eve knew what she was doing when she called the child Seth. Abel was of her seed because of his faith. Cain was of the serpent as demonstrated by his, the murder of his brother. But God by his mercy and grace gave her Seth to continue the battle that God had set between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Two, to Seth was born Enosh. And we are told that at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What does this mean? This cannot mean that people began to worship for the very first time in the days of Enosh. For Cain and Abel worshipped in their day. We were already told of that. It is likely that this means that public worship began in these days, after a time of darkness. In other words, what we saw for a time is uh, the, the spread of the line of Cain. And we saw that uh, true religion and true worship was diminished for a time. But here in the days of Enosh, we see that public worship was renewed and established Within the world, Cain and his descendants built cities and promoted not the glory of God, but the glory of man. Wickedness increased upon the earth, but through Seth's line and through his son Enosh, public worship was renewed and established in the world. And here's the interpretation that Calvin provides. By the way, I do read other commentators besides Calvin, and I do not always agree with Calvin, but I do like the way that he puts certain things. Moses means, he says, that so great was then the deluge of impiety in the world that religion was rapidly hastening to destruction because it remained only with a few men and did not flourish in any race. We may readily conclude that Seth was an upright and faithful servant of God, and after he begat a son like himself and had a rightly constituted family, the, the face of the church began distinctly to appear and that worship of God was set up which might continue to posterity. And then Calvin makes a remark about what he has seen in his own day. Such a restoration of religion has been effected also in our time. He's referring to what we now call the Reformation. Not that it had been altogether extinct, but there was no certainly defined people who called upon God, and no sincere profession of faith, no uncorrupted religion could anywhere be discovered. But in his days, uh, the true worship of God and, and the true Christian faith was, was restored. I think that is the proper interpretation of what it means that in the days of Enosh, people began to call upon 
the name of the Lord. Friends, if I had to sum up the meaning of this entire chapter in one sentence, I would choose this one. Though we have fallen into sin, and though the world be filled with all manner of evil, God is faithful to preserve His church in the world in Christ Jesus, the promised seed of the woman. And let us take courage in these things and place our hope ultimately in Him. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this narrative that we have here considered. Certainly there is more to be said, but Lord, we thank you for what it communicates to us concerning your activity in the world. You are a gracious and merciful God, and you are faithful to preserve your people within the world. We thank you for this, God. And as we sojourn in this world, and as we look about us and see all manner of wickedness, and as we see the distortion of, your, of the worship of your most holy name, God, may we take courage that you will build your church until the end of time. Make us faithful, we pray. Encourage our hearts. Help us to remain steadfast and resolute. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.